Hey everybody, it's Madison. I just wanted to hop on here real quick and let you know that this episode with Shane from Gabriella Plants is going to be split into two separate parts. So please enjoy the first part of this amazing interview we did with him and part two will be out next week. Enjoy! Thanks for listening to Two Girls, One Plant. We're your hosts, Madison. And Jillian. And this week, we're talking with Shane from Gabriella Plant. Shane's here, you guys. Holy moly. Hey, guys. How are you? Hi. Thank you so much for being here today. You're awesome. We're fangirling a little, a little nervous because we have so much respect for you and what you do and your company. So this is like just such a whirlwind to have you here. So thank you so much. Of course, of course. I love getting to do things like this. Um, I think that what I've been able to like be in the last couple years um, more than anything I hope is an inspiration to people. And I, I love getting to, to talk about the growing process and who we are as obviously as a company, but also the joys that being involved in plants brings to people. So yeah, happy to be here. And thank you guys for what you do as well. Oh, thank you. I, um, you know, I was thinking about like my journey of like planting and plant parenting. And I remember learning about your company and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like you can order plants online. Like I think you were the first online plant retailer I came across and thought it was like really cool. Not, but that's interesting because we were definitely not the no, first. No, um, you were not. No. Uh, and what was ironic is the business that my dad had run my entire life, how I got involved, the wholesale business we had done previously we had sold two logies to Hertz, to the sill, to the oh, other wow. larger retailers. And I honestly had never even pieced two to two together that the sill wasn't a garden center, just like any of our <laughs> other customers would have been. Yeah. I didn't know. I mean, I, I knew that you could order specialty things online. Like my grandpa was always trying to find like the right cucumber seed. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, there's so many different varieties. Like I knew there was specialty stuff out there, but yeah, it's definitely been a learning experience the entire time. So. That's awesome. Yeah, I bet it's evolved a lot since, you know, you took it over and kind of started selling not just B2B, but to the public. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So let's do some background on you. Who Who is Shane? Where, where have you always, I know you live in Florida, but who are you? Who is Shane? <laughs> let's get to the nitty gritty of your soul. <laughs> well, uh, I haven't updated my like personal Instagram bio in a really long time, but I would say that throughout I've always grown up around plants. The greenhouses were in my backyard. I could look out, oh. out them at the dinner table most nights. Um, so I've always been involved in plants. I went to school for business, particularly to go into like crisis PR management type of uh, oh, wow. stuff. I've always been good at communication and that side of things. But uh, I was also a musician during college and played in a band. And we have some songs that are still on Spotify. <laughs> um, Everybody so go find them. I <laughs> The number, the number one thing is I just always want to be learning. You can ask my wife if it's not like educational, like a documentary, I'm way less interested in it. Totally. Um, I'm just always trying to learn more and understand the world better. Yeah. So you, where'd you go to school at? Uh, I was homeschooled most of my life. Okay. I attended dual enrolled through college for my last two years of high school. So I Same. graduated high school almost with an oh, AA yeah. and was working, yeah, <laughs> was working pretty much since I turned 16 at you know, more career full-time positions at different companies and things. So, but yeah, I was homeschooled most of my life, which again, let me have a lot of growing experience with it being in the backyard. Yeah. Um, and that was always a way to earn gas money, a way to drive <laughs> your high school friends around. So yeah, uh, grew up in Florida. I was born at the hospital that would still technically be the closest hospital to us um, mm -hmm. on the property. And oh, wow. um, always valued family a lot. A lot. My grandparents lived very, very close by when they sold the property with the greenhouses on it to my 
my parents at the time. Um, and then obviously I was able to purchase their home just a couple driveways away this wow. year, Miriam. So I live right around the corner and That's family is awesome. really important to me. That's so awesome. And Miriam, so you're married. How long have you been married now? A few years, right? Two or three? Something yes, like we've been yeah. married three years, but I first told her I liked her in like eighth grade. Aww. And I think it took her until like ninth or 10th grade to finally start like accepting that she kind of liked me. Too. <laughs> I think she liked me the entire time, but it took a while. But it was well worth it. And I couldn't imagine being married to anyone else. Um, middle school sweethearts. And I, I don't see that. it stopping. So. That's so dead. That's awesome. And so you knew Miriam and started going to school for like crisis PR management. So like I know the greenhouses were in your blood. But when did you actually kind of decide to take that turn? Well, it's uh, yeah. And I minored in finance, too. I was kind of I mean, I thought that that was going to be my future career. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to study business ultimately really dropped out of college before I finished the very end of my bachelor's degree just because of Gabriella plants taking off and me not having the time. So I may get back to it, but I've always been a big believer, not in anti-school, but in if you're willing to do work, you'll be rewarded for it. Um, And sometimes there are jobs, obviously, you don't want a doctor opening you up on a surgical Mm -hmm. table without any, you know, type of degree, there are jobs that you're going to need training for or a certification for. But for the most part, if you're willing to put in hard work, work the long hours, you'll be rewarded for it in the end. Yeah. So then around, would you say like, so you went to college for a couple years, you said, so was it you were just like, Mm -hmm. you know what, I want to be in the family business and I'm ready to do this. Because you yeah, already well, were involved, was, but you were like, like, I want to take more responsibility, I guess. It's like more of a good way of putting it. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> yeah, you could you could put it that way. Um, the main factor was I was I was going into my last. Well, I probably couldn't have finished it in one semester. So it would have been like the last two semesters. But one of those things where you can't finish it in one, but you really don't have two semesters worth of work. Yeah. I would have been able to do that in the spring of 2017. But my dad was elected to public office here and that kind of mandated him not being around uh, mm-hmm. at the greenhouses. So I agreed at that point, obviously you can't plan, you know, one of the things we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about at some point during this, but yeah. you know, part of the, the, the struggles of being a grower is that a lot of your inventory, a lot of your planning is six months, a year out. Oh so God, he already yeah. had all these plants that were planted all year. He had no free time to be there to be able to facilitate the the wholesale business or to get those two homes. Um, so I agreed to step in for potentially the full four years, but at least the first two to serve as a as a way to at least explore who we were going to train potentially to take over um, the wholesale business or that kind of thing. And um, one thing led to another, and obviously the morphing into what Gabriella Plants is now yeah. is the reason I'm still involved. But uh, that was the original reason I I stepped in. But I had no long term careers as a grower in mind only and I've said this publicly is just because I saw my dad work really, really hard, you know, 70 hours a week and make 40,000 or, you know, somewhere around that. And you know, your Christmas presents as you know, growing up were depending on when winter fell and you know how that year's sales had been. I mean, small business owner, we're not it's not the only industry that has that, but specifically for growing, you invest a lot of money in the September through December, January 
period of time, your oh, net cash, your net cash flow is negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you kind of catch that back up in spring, which always made it more stressful. And although I really enjoyed plants, particularly when I, I actually lived in this home during college, my grandparents were kind enough to let me live here. And I took care of our garden in the backyard here. And I really liked vegetable gardening. I loved being around plants. But as a career, I didn't see how I would be able to care and love for my future family, my wife, looking at that as kind of the option. And that's not a unique experience to me. There's a reason why finding third generation growers is is harder and harder to do these days because um, a lot of them had that same perspective. I believe it. But it's interesting that you say that because you've turned Gabriella Plants from this B2B that does kind of average sales to this like exploding houseplant retailer, you know, online. So I feel like, I feel like you've totally changed the future of Gabriella Plants. I Was it your business background that kind of told you, you know, let's go on Etsy and see what happens? Like, how did your dad feel about that shift in his company, you know, that his grandfather built to be B2B? I'm sure that was a change and kind of a risk to make that turn. Yeah, it was, um, I, I will say... It was a risk. It was also slow enough. Think a lot of it has been really, really quick. But thank God that at at least in those first couple months, it was a lot slower. Obviously, if we were to fall into kind of the the amount of emails and the amount of things we do now every day, the amount of customers we have, the amount of website visitors we have, it would have never happened. It would have been way too overwhelming. So the fact that we were able to kind of start early before kind of the market shifted to being as in demand as it is right yeah. now um, was really helpful. Yeah. I, I think the main thing was obviously being B2B. And I should note my grandpa, when he left his job in sales for um, National Cash Register in the 70s and moved up from South Florida to Central Florida to begin kind of a new career path, he didn't want to be a commercial grower per se. Mm-hmm. Um, he was way more social than that. So he built kind of by himself a retail s- store close by. Um, it's actually still there under different ownership now. And he really focused on that and really just used the property and the initial one greenhouse at Gabriella to grow Gerber daisies and Gerber daisies alone. He didn't actually grow house plants. And it was my dad going to UF for horticulture. And coming back with that degree where dad kind of really started doing the commercial thing. And my dad is far more introverted than my grandpa was. And probably mm-hmm. even than I am, I'm very, very introverted. But I also have always been good with words and communicating, or at least I try my best to. So I think that that is one thing worth noting. I think the other thing to kind of how it all started, obviously, we can get to it. But Pink Princess is most of the reason why it started. But the actual kind of like drops of hints of of how the market was beginning to shift happened throughout the entire year of 2018. So that would have been, you know, two full years ago. And we had sold Pink Princesses for a decade. We honestly couldn't sell them. We were selling them for double the price of a normal Marble Queen, which I think is laughable now. Um, I've been pretty transparent (laughs) about the price we sold them at at the time. (laughs) And but there was a reason why nobody grew them, because guess what? We grew them for a decade and we barely sold them. So there wasn't a whole lot of initiative on the grower end to want to pursue that. But a series of different brokers were really the answer to the question who were kind of telling me like, hey, if you're having this much of a problem with, you know, not having enough for everyone, you should maybe think about raising your prices. Um, And it was just little things like that. And I think it kind of came to a head one day when one particular broker 
called me and, and basically said, yeah, or uttered the sentence somewhere along the lines of, yeah, the prices online are ridiculous, you know, something to that effect. And I was like, prices online, <laughs> hold, hold on. And I Googled a plant for the first time in my life. Um, and sure enough, you know, we kind of saw what things were going for on Etsy and right. stuff. And mm-hmm. that was kind of the spark. And we had the logo in the Etsy store in about 30 minutes that followed that. So it was a pretty just split second decision to let's try it. Yeah, just it was see. done under my own name at my house for <laughs> the first couple of months. Wow. Um, and then going into 2019 was when I kind of told dad, hey, we have our own website now. I'd really like to kind of put this, make the revenue go to Gabriella, hire, you know, kind of use the Gabriella EIN and the business entity of Gabriella to, to move forward on growing right. this particular business. And he basically said, when it came to kind of switching how the business had run, you know, he he's always had a lot of confidence in me. He just said, basically, you don't want to burn bridges was basically his recommendation. Right. And I, I totally agree with that. But yeah. besides that, he supported me pretty well through it. Is he still involved in the business at all? Is he like, is he, or is he more Not like? Not really. I mean, okay. he's with, with like, the position he has, he's, you know, pretty much full time. Uh, doing his yeah. his day job now, right. so he hasn't been uh, really all that much around. He still lives on the property. I still oh, see cool. him quite a bit. Oh, um, that's awesome! But he's not as involved these days. Yeah, that's wow. Like I just, it's again, it's so much admiration to you and just being like, I'm gonna take a chance on this, try yeah. it, see what happens. Oh wow, it's working out in my favor. And yeah, let's run with it. <laughs> let's run with it. Like let's mm-hmm. do this. Let's make it happen. And now you're looking at this beast of a company i feel like you know when i think of online plant retailers i think of three i think of you i think of steve's leaves and i think of logies right off the top big beast in the industry like and all three of you are just crushing it and um and i think your company especially just like has such a great quality and you can really see like you know you're talking about like how you're living on the property with your family like you know that it is a family-run business which is so cool. Love supporting family run little small businesses that are just mm-hmm. like killing it. Like, yes, mm-hmm. love to see it. And, and we're still, we're still relatively small. I mean, all yeah. things considered, we're still, you know, not a, not a huge company, especially when it comes to growing. Right. You know, we're, we're a fraction of a percentage of a percent of greenhouse space yeah. in the state of Florida. So we're, we're small potatoes in that way, but yeah. we're strong and mighty. And I do have to say that what Gabriella plants is, I mean, a lot of these questions have been kind of who Shane is, but what Gabriella plants is at this point is the, you know, 20 plus, I think we're at 22 plus contractors, oh, wow. independent contractors. So it's really those folks that are who Gabriella plants is. It's yeah. the reason I'm sitting here and plants are, people are still getting shipping notifications. Um, yeah. It takes <laughs> yeah. that entire team to make Gabriella plants what it is. And I would be kind of remiss if I allowed myself to take credit for what Gabriella plants is entirely because it wouldn't be able to happen without yeah. the people who actually execute it every day. So sure. and it's great. Cause we get to see that on Facebook and on Instagram, you know, mm-hmm. different people in the greenhouse making it all happen. Yeah. And while we're still on the subject of Gabriella plants, you know, I know that you recently just bought a whole new property to kind of keep expanding and keep growing. What do you kind of see the future of Gabriella plants being? Where are you all going? At, so we, we, we didn't buy that particular place. We're renting that particular um, oh. office um, space really close by. If there's a very big highway, interstate highway, toll road, 
um, between us and them. But theoretically, if we had a powerful enough dirt bike and you could jump it, it's 0.6 <laughs> miles away. It's about two and a half miles away if you have to take the actual surface roads around. Um, but either way, it's really close by, which was the main reason we jumped on it. But that space is really to continue to facilitate more and more talented team members and team leaders and the infrastructure required to run an organization um, space to do their job and to do it well. We yeah. started out when I took over my dad's, you know, what we had, we had a, we call it the shack. It's still called the shack. It's where <laughs> my current office is besides my ho my home office. Um, and it's this little 380 square foot, tiny brick building that used to be a horse tack shed, has oh, one wow. bathroom, you know, no hot water, um, <laughs> wall AC unit. It's just like the de definition of like a Florida tack shed, you know, a Florida concrete <laughs> little brick yeah. building. Um, yeah. So that was what we were, where I answered every email. Two or three people were packing plants, um, oh, plus oh. our fax machine and our phones for the old business and everything else that was going on. And we saved up money to eventually build our headquarter building, our HQ building on the property, which pretty much, I mean, what we went from 380 square feet to 3000 square feet wow. of new space, which was a, a great thing and let us grow mm. really going into 2020. You guys wouldn't be nearly as happy as plant consumers <laughs> if we hadn't been able to grow the shipping team and grow yeah. what we were able to facilitate. And in that same way, I think now, obviously, we'll have more growing happening, we'll have more shipping happening. But as those two positions and two primary functions of Gabriella increases, so does the need for additional customer care people yeah. um, to handle emails in a, in a timely fashion. So do you need more support for a large organization in HR and in senior management and digital operations or customer experience, as we like to call it, with everything that is executed digitally online? So I think that those positions are most of why Aloma exists. We call it Aloma. We're really original with names. We call the Gabriella property Gabriella because the street it's on is Gabriella. Mm -hmm. We call my house Brooks because it's, I'm going to surprise you guys, located on Brooks Lane. <laughs> and uh, we call Aloma Aloma because it's located on Aloma. So um, real original with names, but uh, <laughs> that's that space. I think there's been a lot of other acquisitions and things we're trying to do yeah. going into 2021. Oh, well, oh man. I know that's like in less than two so months. Bad. We just weird? got used to writing 2020, guys. We literally just got used to it. And we're going to have to do it all over again. I but, know. I'll, I'll, I'll end on just the fact that that particular space is going to be additional shipping and office space for those office type roles. Okay. And we're also uh, going to be expanding greatly in what we can grow in growing space. It's something we're always keeping an eye on. It's a tricky thing to do in Central Florida because you have very, very high land values um, right. because of the location and the proximity to Disney and things. So it's hard to find greenhouses that already exist. So I think some of where my direction for the future is trying to partner with other mom and pop growers that are equal size or even slightly larger than us, but that have no one on their team or any clue how to do what we've been able to do. Mm -hmm. But I strongly believe growers need to be the ones reaping the benefits of where the market is right now, oh, yeah. not the middleman and the sellers. They will make their margin, but I think that um, the more we reward growers, the more we're incentivizing people like me to look at the picture of my dad working and, and see a future potential career. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that that's really important if we all want to have access to, to houseplants for decades to come. I agree. I agree. Yeah, because sellers, it feels very like it's not, yeah, it's not very long term, right? They're just, it's kind of like, I'm going to try this for like a year or two and then kind of ends. So like 
when, how do, how do I keep getting a benefit as a consumer, right? You have to go and you have to support your growers. So as a consumer, definitely like it's something to think about. And like, obviously a lot of grows aren't going to have everything you need. So yeah, a seller is like a good option to go look at, but you know, definitely always supporting your growers is definitely yeah, a more long-term investment for them. Selling is a totally different skill set oh in and God. of itself. And it you know, we're lucky to have people on our team that understand both, mm. but it really is an entirely different skill set. So it is. just just so that we don't run on something that's not true, you are in some ways supporting growers by going to your local garden center or yeah. going to your local store and buying plants. Lowe's, not so much. The ones at larger big box stores are typically not mm. grown by independent growers. They're grown by large contracts. Um, I think I'm thinking large, more large like, growers. I think I'm thinking more like independent I'm personal. Here's me posting this on Facebook sellers. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. You know what I mean? I'm thinking of I'm going to start selling and just cutting up my elbow. You know what I mean? And selling that and for a couple years just to make some money and like have a little side hustle, which every good millennial <laughs> has a side hustle. It's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it is different to like support the grower and encourage yeah. them to stay in the industry yeah. and continue to grow because otherwise they're, you're going to lose that supply outside of like Costa Farms, you know? So yeah. it would definitely be great to see somebody help support those smaller growers, yeah. especially in Florida where there are so many incredible plants oh being gosh. grown yeah. um, mm-hmm. and help them market in a way that you guys have clearly done very well so far. So yeah, that would and be we have big plans. See. We have very big plans for that. Um, we have plans for a customer experience app that's going to happen in in 2021 that will really change, I I believe, fundamentally how people view the plant buying process and, and just what growers do. Because I think, honestly, if we're being real, that's why growers don't necessarily get a whole lot of praise, right? You, there's not a good mm. way to Google and find it. It's a lot easier right. to go onto Etsy, type in the name of the plant you want and find something that way right. than it is to find the name of a grower on an obscure street with no Google ratings. You know what I mean? Because they're mm-hmm. not a, they're not to yeah. a, a consumer brand. But I think that those making sure that there is a way to communicate what every day looks like as a grower mm-hmm. um, puts the value in what a grower does. Yeah. What are your favorite plants to grow? And how many plants do you typically have on hand at any given time? Roughly, rough estimate. But what are some of your favorite plants to grow? I feel yeah. like you said that um, Gabby might be one Hoyas of them. Hoyas are always fun only because... Oh, go ahead. What were you saying? No, I feel like you said that Gabby might be one of them, but I'm curious to see what you say. Hoyas are great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gabby and Rio are obviously big, um, you know, Gabriella things. Both are original cultivars to us. That's cool. Um, so those are always fun to, to play with. They're pretty easy to grow, though. Um, like I said, I always try to learn something. I'm, I, I enjoy a challenge more than anything else. So I like Hoyas just because they are like so picky until they become rooted. Yes. And then once they are mm-hmm. rooted are a heck of a lot less picky. Mm-hmm. So um, it's always fun getting to kind of coach them through that moment I, in their life, you know, through puberty as a plant and right into the adulthood. Your post, I think it was today's post. It was the Hoya Chromianas, Chromia, Chromianas. Mm, I can't even pronounce it. But yeah. <laughs> Something like that. And I, 
I'm so excited. I was like, I'm getting this. I'm so excited. Any kind of Hoya. Oh, yes. I love it when you guys have like new Hoyas come in. Like philodendrons and like all the tropicals are so fun and they're so beautiful. But like, I'm also a Hoya head. I go hard for my Hoyas. So like the more Hoyas available, I'm like, oh, yes, I'm going to make sure I get that one. But that's awesome. Yeah. And I agree. Hoyas, like we did a whole episode on Hoya. They are picky because they like will not grow or do anything until they're like root bound or at least someone root bound and like have spread out throughout the pot at least. And it's, oh gosh, yeah, they are, they're stubborn, but it is worth it once they do get there though. And they're like super chill. And depending on the growing conditions, you can have the, the vine go without leaves. And if you're talking about cutting to propagate, um, that gets really tricky too. Um, most plants you would want to allow to grow as many nodes as possible before trimming to some extent, or we have general rules for how we go about that at Gabriella. But Hoyas can be kind of unpredictable in how many cuttings you'll get per month. You know, right. a philodendron, we know if we trim, we're going to roughly get a node a week, which means by the end of four weeks, we're roughly going to have a, a four node cutting to a tip and three other cuttings to cut off that plant. Hoyas are way harder to predict on that way. So Hoyas are also tricky in needing more week by week analysis of what should be trimmed, what should be planted. And they're not nearly as easily scheduled out like other things we grow. So I know like parents, we never want to say which child is our least favorite child, but which plant is like your trouble child that you're like, I can't stand you, but I'm going to grow you anyways. Do you have one of those that you're like, you're giving me a headache right now? I mean, we're in Florida, <laughs> yeah, so that's it true. gets a lot easier to grow things when you live in Florida. I, I would say Sansevierias are hard just because they give no visual. They are such an easy plant to care for, but they give no warning signs until kind of it's too late. Like mm. it's either going to begin to show a lot of signs of stress at once or you're going to be yeah. none the wiser that there was an over moisture issue. So mm. anytime where you have to figure out the solution to a problem that occurred four weeks ago that you didn't know about four weeks ago is always tricky. Gotcha. So that one's so Sansevieria, while easy, can be the trouble child sometimes. I know. You're like, what are you doing? (laughs) Go clean your room. Okay. So then on a personal level, then what is your favorite plant? Like, you know, because I'm sure you, I think it was a couple weeks ago, you did an Instagram story showing like what you were growing at home and it was like midnight and you're like, I'm just chopping and watering away everyone. Like, what's up? And it was so cool to see. So what is like some of your favorite like personal plants that you have in your collection or what's the flavor of the week? Flavor of the week. I mean, I always get excited when Ethereum's and I have the opportunity to still, I'm still trying to learn. You know, I know a lot about the things that we grew up growing, mm-hmm. but not a whole lot of the things outside of that because I don't have a former, like, you know, former, formal, not former, formal education in horticulture. So yeah. my understanding of things, I don't have the experience of growing personally mm-hmm. is not as high as other people and why I've I'm trying to invest in making sure we bring on a head grower that understands that and that brings that perspective to the operations. But I'd say for myself, my personal favorite always seems to get back to my Anthurium pendulifolium that I got from Enid at NSC Tropicals. Really like that. There's also a couple of the really dark begonias from Steve's Leaves. I I can't keep up with begonia names because I have one of like 97. Yeah, that's I've always wanted to get my hands on some Steve Leaves begonias. They're, they're they go so fast. That's where I got my Pavanina actually. 
Oh, yeah, that's loved right. her. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, and Anthurium are like you think they're going to be a lot like like a philodendron, and they have a lot of the characteristics of it. But the watering is way different. I've noticed. I just started getting into Anthurium too, and started collecting some like a couple months ago. And like I've noticed a big characteristic difference of uh, just their watering needs. I thought it was going to be mm-hmm. exactly the same as my philodendrons. Nope, not at all. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's not die. I just spent like the other thing hundred dollars on Anthuriums you. throw you off on is the fact that there and this may be kind of what you're talking about where it's not exactly like a philodendron the major way they differ from a philodendron is normally in most plants as plant overall size increases or specifically as leaf size increases you generally see a proportional amount of water need increase mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. an ethereum superbum that has a leaf that's four foot tall you would think needs four times more than the foot tall one mm-hmm. um, and that's not the case with Anthuriums. There can be very, very large anthuriums that will take roughly the same water as a four inch pot anthurium would. Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean, it does change. Oh, it's not sense. consistent the entire way, yeah. but it's not quite like the others. Hmm. Okay. That kind of helps me a little bit because I'm trying hard not to kill them, <laughs> but that's everything I own. <laughs> and it's a different struggle in Denver What's than your Florida thing too in your with anthuriums. Oh, my. Oh, okay. Ooh, hold on. I, I did so much repotting yesterday. I spent like four. I watched two Lord of the Rings movies while repotting. So that should tell you how long I was repotting yesterday. <laughs> but right now, oh, that's so hard. I really am enjoying my Ring of Fire philodendron. Oh, cool. The speckling. Mm, good one. It's happy. It The leaves are getting bigger and bigger. It's on a pole. The variegation and the orange coloring is like, and it's starting to have cream, more cream in it. So it's. A lot happier and that one I feel like I've kind of like I've mastered it I'm happy with it nice. so that's like my that's my flavor of the week and one I'm really excited about so that's pretty cool yeah what about yeah. you Jillian I don't know I just got this really she works cool at succulent. a plant shop by the way I don't know but, if you knew that yeah she works at a plant so- shop so she like interesting gets access to all the fun good stuff too yeah. and gets to go to the wholesaler and <laughs> but I like all the funky easy stuff so like I just got like an owl eye sansevieria that I'm like super excited about mm. that nobody would think is cool but like yeah we're got like the coolest colors we're a little different like she likes her what do you call them dead sticks and rock yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I like the more tropicals and Hoya <laughs> yeah pretty much I just got this really cool plant I wonder if I'll be able to find the name of it but she looks like a dead stick oh i know what you're talking about i think the doris it's like a doris elite it's like some we'll send name. you a picture of it yeah it's it okay. literally okay. is a stick <laughs> but that is like I'm sure in Colorado, it's harder to keep up with tropicals though oh it really it is. is i used to have this whole room closed off with a humidifier and that worked really well but now that we have all the equipment in here i can't really run the humidifier all day no. so i basically sacrificed all of the tropicals mm-hmm. for just dealing with easy babes that I can put throughout the house. Cause yeah. I don't have time to spritz everybody and deal with humidifiers all over the house and all that kind of it's stuff. It's so dry here. Like what is the, usually gets what, like 20% humidity. Yeah. Like 15 to 20%. Ooh, yeah. It's bad here. So I just, I just have the humidifier. I'm so see, I'm totally opposite from jelly. I have the humidifiers going. I have cabinets. <laughs> I'm like obsessing. I have grow lights hanging from the ceiling mm-hmm. all over my apartment and like all the rooms. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a little bit nuttier. 
<laughs> Jillian's like, hell no, I do. That. I ain't got time for all that. <laughs> no, but I get Jillian's perspective because people ask me, especially now that I live so close and this property's always kind of had a, a backyard greenhouse, the one that you mentioned I was in propagating and stuff. Um, so it changed a little bit, but I always got que- the number one question I always got asked when I, before we bought this house was, you know, what does your home collection look like? I'm like non-existent. I mm-hmm. work eight to eight watering yeah. plants, trimming plants, taking care of plants, putting plants from one bench to another bench. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to come home and have another hour and a half worth of plants to do. Um, and yeah. now I come home, eat dinner and go back to the greenhouses. So. <laughs> right. Do you have like a wish list plant? Like, I feel like you have access to so much cool stuff, but do you have something that you're like, oh, that'd be so What's on cool. on Shane's Christmas list? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there something that you're like, I would love to get my hands on that? I mean, obviously, variegated Adansonia, I would be oh up gosh. there, pretty high up yeah. there, That'd mainly because be cool. I, I love the variegated things. And I know variegation in Florida is just, it works really well. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, besides that, I mean, two people from our team got me an oblique, never oblique. Um, oh, wow. But I have that now. So I guess I can cross that off the list. Damn. Um, I, I don't know. At, at this point, there's so many plants that are now becoming available that either weren't in cultivation at all. I'm not even talking about the things that have have been able to be scaled better. Um, Cause that is a whole different thing. I'm saying the ones, I mean, the best guess from scientists is that we have discovered, I think what a quarter or a third of the philodendron species of the world, something like that. So just that perspective, I would say that I guess my biggest, if I had a way to make a wish list, it would be things that don't yet have names which is hard to make Ooh. on a wish list. Okay, just cool stuff you haven't seen yet. You're just waiting for yeah. it to come across your desk and be like, that's it. That's the one I've been waiting for that's you. That's it. <laughs> you know what? Actually, on that topic, to kind of jump back to Pink Princesses a little bit, do you know how you guys started selling Pink Princesses? Because I, I know I watched your video with, I think Georgia is her name, from Plants and Things. And I know the history behind the Pink Princess is a little murky, and we kind of know it was probably one of Macaulay's plants but not for sure um so how did you guys end up selling them and um stocking them like how did that weird thing kind of come across your desk yeah um it was actually i I wish i could remember the the woman's name but it was a uh a grower who was um a bit older than even my dad was who was getting ready to retire in apopka and kind of called dad and said hey you know we may have a couple plants um she had some like some lipstick plants there were a couple other propagatable plants that she had and she was just like you know if you want to come get them you know i'll basically give them away at whatever the cost that they would normally be just in order to not have to actually go into spring and that that is something you see sometimes with greenhouses if they do choose to sell because of land values is that all of a sudden if you make that jump most of the time you can't find a buyer who's willing to get that property six months later so you normally either have to stop at the end of summer planting and hope that you sell it quickly and hope it doesn't sit around a year and you don't have income for that year, or you need to continue to operate it until you have a buyer. And then you have a very short amount of time to clear out and to move out of the, out of the property. So I am pretty sure with that particular greenhouse was kind of a fast paced situation. And, And dad kind of got the call and said, Hey, if you can swing by in the next week or two. So we went over there and he bought probably 65, eight inch, um, hanging baskets of pink princess. And wow. she basically said, Hey, you know, these are actually really rare. 
Problem is they are kind of hard to grow because people only like them when they have pink. And unfortunately, if you have too many cloudy days in a row, or, you know, if you don't have the exact right conditions, they're going to be really tricky. There's also this issue with how their leaves show this what's been deemed as bronzing or mechanical Mm. damage to the leaf, which can leave that like kind of scarring look. Um, Those were all reasons that she kind of cautions. She told my dad when she gave us the stock plants, but that was over a decade ago. So we've been growing them ever since, mainly in six inch pots and selling them to Logies and Hertz and the other online retailers. Looking back at it, obviously we didn't know that's what we were doing at the time. Right. So then, so you, again, like we went, you know, talked a little about, you know, selling on Etsy. Let's talk about pink princesses because I find this very fascinating, especially given where the current market is, not just with pink princesses, but just overall with plants. You know, they're such a like everybody wants to have one. So you went from selling it on Etsy. Then did you go to having a wait list after that? Because they were in so demand because you sold them really fast on your Etsy store. First wait list too. That's right. (laughs) Number 1800 right Mm -hmm. here. (laughs) And I got all the way down to 300 after uh, it was like the constant you had to like prove that you really wanted one. So you had to like do a prepayment, I believe. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the final payment is what it was. Yeah, that was was, honestly lessons learned. We didn't, you know, we didn't know. I didn't know how to go about that when we first went about that. You know, it was one thing to transition to managing a brand at all. And not to mention dealing with a brand that has a kind of reoccurring problem where there is a portion of the customer base not happy because... Uh, You don't have enough to meet demand. That was always something very tricky to us. But the pink, the way that that kind of evolution happened was initially we were on just Etsy. Uh, It was just myself and we were only selling things on Etsy. Very quickly, obviously, the Etsy Instagram messages began to kind of blow up with, hey, when are you going to have more? I'd do anything. I'd give my left kidney. Um, You know, whatever I need to do to get this plant, let me know. To which I kind of came up with the, I can't answer these messages 20 times a day. Mm -hmm. It's too interrupting to, at the time, the wholesale business we were still operating. Mm -hmm. But we will release on every Wednesday at 8 p.m. So you can just know to check back then. And it just worked to kind of redirect people to one scheduled release time. And we were kind of the first to really start doing that. And we began to publish the list with what we were going to update that Wednesday. There's probably a reason why people bigger than us don't do that. But Mm -hmm. for the time being, it was a really great thing for us. I love Um, it. The transition to selling to selling them on a wait list was we got our own website and I announced on the website launch, which is December 14th of 2019 uh, Mm -hmm. or no, 2018. Um, I announced that you could sign up for the wait list and that we would, you know, basically send out a password to people in order and in batches of 100. And that's how we were going to go about it. What I didn't anticipate was like waiting a week going back to that form and seeing about a year and a half worth of growing capacity (laughs) on that list in like the first week of that list existing. So we, so we then took that list. We allowed people to continue to add themselves. There was also a silver sword wait list at one point as well. Um, I was also on that one. (laughs) (laughs) We allowed people to sign up for them. And then eventually it kind of dawned on me that we had two diverging problems. One, there were people being, there were way more people on the list than we were realistically going to get to in the next two years. And that was a separate issue from the fact that weekly we were getting more people adding to the list and there were both two problems. So we closed the ability to join the wait list and we said, 
the other third problem we were experiencing with the waitlist problem is you didn't have to buy anything to join our waitlist. People <laughs> could just have easily have found the specimen they wanted yeah. from somebody else. So every time we'd send an email to 100 people, we would get 20 orders, we'd get 85 orders. It made it very mm-hmm. difficult to tell somebody who was a thousand positions in line later, you know, if everyone only grabs 20, we could get through a thousand and, you know, a month and a half. If every right. if everyone who gets the email orders it, you're talking a year and a half. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just depends on how that was going. And eventually we kind of, I was living with the daily experience of being in that crammed room uh, of 800 square feet and went, hmm, maybe we can, we know what we can produce. We have those statistics for years and years and years at Gabriella. We know this production schedule. We can roughly guess that. Let's go ahead. Cause I would feel really bad if we just said no more people can join the wait list. Also, if you were on the wait list for the past eight months, sorry, that's not a thing anymore. Bye. <laughs> like that didn't feel good. No. So I was like, all right, well, we'll give them the opportunity to at least kind of weed out the ones that were never going to buy it. They just joined the wait list because they wanted their spot in line by asking right. for a $10 deposit and then following yep. up with a link once we had everyone's deposits and we kind of knew how long it was going to take mm-hmm. a link for people to complete the purchase. And we, we did over 850 of those pre-orders yep. at $50 a plant. Um, and it that. took us, we hoped six months, it took us almost nine months, about eight and a half months to fulfill that entire wait list. And we didn't send another pink princess or sell another pink princess for that entire nine month period. Um, and ever since we've been just releasing them as we have the capacity to do so. But the problem that we had still exists because people can sign up for restocking notifications. While not a, re- now, while not a wait list, no guarantee, it's still a notification system right, right now. If we, I haven't checked it this week, but if we were to put in stock 60 more that we had ready or 120 more we had ready, keep in mind the yearly production is somewhere between 1200 to 1500 plants right now. We're only looking like this year is going to be about 1150 that production capacity, us having a hundred plants to sell that email is going out to easily six, 7,000 people, if not more. Um, And that's without us publishing the date or the time or on Instagram, anywhere other than just people who signed up for that restocking. So it's it's becoming harder and harder for us to let people know when we're going to have more just out of the fear of the, I think backlash is too much of a a, a negative connotation, but the, but the the work required to pull that off. Yeah. Nobody wants to disappoint their customer base. You know, it's, I mean, it's a good problem to have, but there's so much Mm -hmm. demand, but obviously it's pretty bittersweet. It is. Yeah. Well, and two, it's so funny thinking back about it because I remember making my deposits. I remember going through the process and I remember chipping. I like I said, I was at like 1800 on the list. And I remember it getting chopped down all the way to around like two, 300. And I was like, I'm going to get my pink princess in the next couple months and I was stoked about it and I remember you know getting it and being like super excited I still have it it's beautiful I love mine it's got like eight leaves but in the beginning I had some issues with my own care on it I didn't realize how much humidity it really needs so I feel like this is such a like high in demand trendy kind of plant but I don't know. Can you speak to also they're kind of finicky. They're very like high diva ish. They got that diva behavior where it's like, mm, you watered me too much. I'm going to lose my leaves or I don't have enough humidity. I'm going to get crispy. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and the problem with 
just so yeah a little bit about their care sure but the, that is a something that i think people can learn a lot from just that statement in and of itself that if it's hard to care for it's hard to care for and that's probably why people at one point said this isn't worth it anymore right um it's not that it's impossible but yeah it's a little bit more finicky and it's the same reason why a lot of plants really went out of style quote unquote yeah um there were a lot of greenhouses where hiring and finding talented people who know propagation of especially rare but even normal plants mm-hmm. is harder to find than being able to buy in tc and plant tc at a much more streamlined process so you had commercial people kind of giving up on the plants like pink princess like albos that are harder to maintain as far as humidity they're they're really picky about their humidity, but more so their moisture. And I think I even wrote that down in my notes. I think I wrote the common misconception of moisture versus wet feet. There is kind of a hesitance on a lot of larger leaf philodendrons and even anthuriums that they like dryness. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily true. The problem is, is something like a philodendron, a lot of aeroids, most of aeroids want a lot of water. The problem is they need it to be able to drain. They need to be able to have airflow happen after that water occurs, which is something that soil compacts Mm -hmm. and is a problem if you overwater soil. So whenever you're dealing with a plant that has both a high moisture need, but also a small water consumption rate, which Mm -hmm. I think is something like a pink princess or an Ethereum would be, you do need a lot of moisture, not always in humidity, you can kind of shortcut humidity by misting more often if you're that kind of extra and you have that much free time. It's not that they will or won't live in without a certain humidity threshold like a calathea, which there is like no misting that's really going to help it, it really needs the humidity to survive. Pink parents aren't quite that, but I think because people don't understand the need for moisture and airflow, but not necessarily dry, mm-hmm. there are plants that like conditions dry, yeah. but aeroids like good airflow, but available moisture. I think that's a, a hard thing for people to grasp. Yeah. See, and I totally agree with that. That's so interesting you say that because I have mine in sphagnum and in a pot and because there's just so much airflow and I just water it every what, like five, to seven days and it's in a great 50 to 60% humidity cabinet, it's happy. But I do need to repot it because I think the pot is for like, it's a little too small. So like all the new leaves are a little smaller. So I think I need to repot it mm-hmm. and that way I can get big, beautiful if you're going too leaves. Small, if you're getting small leaves, it's, it's often a sign of, of a lack of moisture. Okay, um, And that can be done. The number one thing I recommend for Pink Princess or for any aeroid, obviously the selection of your growing medium matters, mm-hmm. but more so than the growing medium used is the available drainage and airflow you're giving the plants. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of great benefits to putting things in those smaller in-home greenhouses where you're able to increase humidity. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the downside of they typically are pretty stale. There's not a whole lot of airflow. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have a whole lot of airflow, you're not really drying soil out yeah the soil just like anything else needs a place to evaporate too mm-hmm. so if you're not giving them a place to evaporate too or enough area for wind to pass through that's why at the bottom i don't have any with me but the bottom of a traditional nursery pot doesn't have one hole it has right. nine ten holes at the bottom yeah 
That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, that's so funny too. You, you say that as well, because I, it's in the Ikea greenhouse cabinet in my, in my house. And, um, I just put a fan in finally. So I think that's going to help with a lot of the issues. And like, so I'm kind of curious to see science experiment. I'm a mad scientist. A eh? Wow. That was a fun episode and we couldn't have done it without Gabriella plants. They provide high-quality tropicals straight from their greenhouse to your door. Their inventory drops every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Eastern Time at GabriellaPlants.com. So set your timers and don't miss out.